Good morning, High Point. The scripture for today is uh, Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, uh, verses 15 through 20. If you would like to follow along, you can, uh, it can be found on page 1780 uh, in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Augustina. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? All right. Good, good. Good, good morning, everyone. Good morning, High Point Church. My name is uh, Lloyd Biddle, and I am one of the pastors at High Point Church. Um, next couple weeks, uh, Pastor Nick is on a well-deserved vacation. You can pray for him. I'm told he's hunting something in Colorado. Um, so he loves to hunt. So pray for his refreshment and encouragement and that he'll come back uh, fired up and ready to go uh, in a couple weeks. Um, I have um, some news. Uh, to share. Um, um, uh, Dr. Archie McKenna um, passed away uh, last Tuesday night. Um, many long-term High Point people remember uh, Dr. McKenna. He may be the most venerable elder in the church's history. Uh, his history goes back to the 1960s when we used to be a Faith Baptist Church and then we became a Middleton Baptist Church. He had a, a Bible study that ran for about 40 years straight and he had a legacy at the Uni University of Wisconsin where he taught. Uh, um, uh, he was where he's a physician and, and, and professor of also for 40 years having students over at his house um, teaching and and so I want to just read you a little testimony from Katrina Boyd, a UW graduate and uh, one of the women at our church. Um, and she sent this uh, to the elders on Wednesday. I thought you'd like to know that Dr. Archie McKinney is spending his first day in paradise. He worked so hard for it and was recently mostly concerned with how many new people were accessing his website to hear about Jesus. He had a website with his Bible studies on that he had written over 40, 50 years. He was an uh, outstanding Bible scholar. A gifted evangelist, even to the end, 
I am beyond grateful that God orchestrated our visit to Ohio to be with him, to be within the last three days where he was in hospice, uh, having um, died from, from cancer. Um, only God could have done that. Please pray for Mrs. McKinney um, uh, at this very difficult time. Any cards can be sent to a certain address. So if you would like to send um, a card to um, Shirley McKinney, you can walk out these double doors, go to the reception desk, and there are, there's information there where you can write a card. Uh, he will be uh, sorely missed. Um, he was instrumental in bringing Pastor Nick to High Point Church, um, having sat on the search committee like me and another five or six other people. Uh, so he was instrumental in the church from its inception to its continuation. So I just wanted to mention that. I also want to ask you to pray for uh, Eric Miller. Um, Eric Miller is a young man about 36 years old who has uh, liver cancer. Um, and um, it's, it's pretty serious. So I don't want you to like visit him at the UW. I just want you to pray for Eric and his wife, Allison. Uh, they uh, covet your prayers. So just be praying um, that God would heal him, that God would comfort his wife, Allison, during these very difficult times. And I'm not exactly uh, sure um, how this got down here uh, and how it even perfectly fits my, my, my head. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> listen, if you had asked me last week, Illinois had been giving up 40 points a game on, on their defense, I would have told you it was going to be a blowout, right? That just tells you that there is a God and he does answer prayer. That's, a, <laughs> that's basically it. And the Badgers will be back to excellence next week, yeah, as you guys know. Little joke, now it's time uh, to get to the business. We're continuing our series on, in Ephesians uh, about being made new. Um, how God in Christ has uh, transformed uh, totally everyone who comes to Jesus in repentance and faith. And the first uh, several weeks we talked about our riches in Christ. These last several weeks we were talking about um, our uh, duty, how we should walk in Christ. And I'm going to continue uh, talking about that uh, today. Um, uh, um, very um, interesting what Paul does in this text. He starts out by saying, be very careful then how you live because the days are evil. Um, as if the Christians are, uh, need to be uh, concerned about spiritual attack, need to be on guard. And so that's, that sends you in one trajectory, right? Uh, be prepared for battle, uh, later uh, put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the enemy, right? Uh, it, it sends you in a certain different kind of defensive posture or army posture. But then he kind of pivots in this passage and he says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. And so we have this, this uh, paradox. Uh, on the one hand, we are to be careful, we are to be uh, vigilant like an army, being prepared for battle, uh, well-trained and disciplined. And on the other side, we ought to be rejoicing, 
we ought to be uh, um, thankful. We ought to be uh, jubilant. And um, both of these things are a part of the Christian life. They're essential to what Paul calls uh, walking in the Spirit. They're essential to be uh, a part of what Paul says is to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Living the Christian life requires, it requires both uh, vigilance, uh, using your mind, being careful about how you live. It requires vigilance and it requires a joyfulness, a sense of peace and a wonder and a desire to praise God with your mouth in the sanctuary, in songs, all of us together. It requires that in order to walk in the Spirit, in order to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, So we have this paradox. I want to start with the first part of the paradox, vigilance in warfare. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I want to unpack this, so stick with me here. I'm going to move quickly. Uh, He says, because the days are evil, we need to do certain things. And so Paul uh, was a a man who was very familiar with the, the Christian struggle. Uh, the Christian struggle of actually having been uh, changed by God through repentance and faith, um, having the Holy Spirit, and yet still being a man and still being subject to sin. Um, um, he, he describes it uh, this way. Uh, and, and many of the commentators will say that this reflects his posture before the Holy Spirit, and and that's probably accurate, but the battle is still the same, so stick with me. So I find this this law, this uh, uh, standard, this posture that God has built in, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, in my soul, in my mind, he says, I delight in God's law. This would be the law of Moses. But I see another principle at work, right? The, the, the law of Moses was to um, part of the covenant uh, that we would walk in righteousness and God would be our God. And he said, in my mind, I see the beauty of God's commands, how precious they are and how they will enrich my life. Um, he said, I, I understand it fully in my mind, he says. But I see this other principle working in me waging war against the law of our mind and making me a prisoner of what is known as the law of sin, the law of sin. And so uh, Christians have always postured based on what uh, the scripture teaches and based on our experience of life. Um, Based on my experience as a dad with children that I never taught uh, anything wrong, how to to lie or steal or anything like that, but then Early on, you hear them saying things like, what? What?" And you hear them saying no and being defiant and so forth. And that's not the kind of thing you modeled. It just kind of comes from their their human nature. The Bible calls that the sinful nature. That since the very first man sinned, all of us have this sinful nature. Um, Sometimes this this is called uh, depravity. It's not that you would do any and all sins, but it's that you could do anything. 
because of your, your sinful nature. And the, the thing about this is everybody really internally believe, understands this. All of us understand the temptations that come with just waking up in the morning and coming to church. Uh, uh, the temptations of the eyes, um, uh, temptations to lie and to steal and to covet, all of these things. And sometimes um, uh, left to ourselves, we would give in to this. And so Paul is talking about this kind of life. And he's saying that, um, that he even is dealing with the struggle and sometimes losing. And as in his missionary work, um, as he went out preaching the gospel, both to Jews and Gentiles, he would be imprisoned and beaten for doing what was good and right and holy. And so he was subject to the, the evils of this world being the sins of other men and then the sins of his, of his own self. And so that, that's what we mean when we say the days are evil. It's that we human beings have a way of messing up the world. And all you got to do is turn on CNN or Fox or whatever your news, and you can see evidence of a human failure. The days are evil, he says. And it's because the days are evil, you need to be careful about how you live. First Peter 5 puts it this way. He says, be alert and of sober mind. That is, be, be clear thinking. Be woke. Um, uh, understand the dangers that are out there. He says, be clear thinking, be sober, be awake. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see this, this war language that you got an enemy and he's dead serious. And it's a, he's a spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him a Satan. He is the one who has created, he is the father of sin. And so there's this, this, this life we live is a spiritual battle, and we have a very powerful spiritual enemy, Satan. So we're in serious warfare, is what Paul is telling us, right? So what do we need to do? So we need to be very careful about how we live, and we can't be going around um, not thinking, not careful, um, carried away by our passions like a drunken sailor, is what he's saying. He says, and this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for a life that's directed by your sensuality, by your worldliness. He said, don't be carried away by your, your natural tendencies. And he says, in specific, don't lose your judgment as if you were drinking too much. Come on, this is Wisconsin now. One of the first challenges I had to deal with when I moved to Wisconsin from Illinois in 2006 is how much more serious the drinking culture is here. So it's a serious problem, but it's a problem all over America. But it's just a metaphor for us giving our lives to things that are worthless and worldly. Uh, don't be like a drunken sailor. Instead, be like a sentinel. Be on guard. Be prepared. I want to talk to you about this morning about how to do that, how to be vigilant in warfare. The first thing is, right, don't surrender your powers of judgment to alcohol. I'm going to take a deeper dive in that in a minute. But then there's an offensive posture that you need to take that, that engages our God in prayer and that is, uses the, the resources God gives us in order to build each other up 
in order to build up the kingdom of God, in order to reach the lost, there is a, there's an offensive posture. In fact, the Badgers need a better offensive. There's an offensive posture that you need to be on in order to be effective and to win the victory, right? So, uh, so let's talk about this. I want to talk about um, surrendering your powers to, to worldliness, and then I want to go on the offensive. So don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. That is to say, when somebody is inebriated, when they give themselves over to drinking, they, they lose control. And in particular with drinking, uh, people say stuff they wouldn't normally say, and they're more sexually available than they would be when they're sober-minded. And this is a, a picture of what it's like when you give yourself over to the world. And I would say now, these days, one of the biggest ways that we give ourselves over to the world is in our media. We give ourselves over to binge-watching television. We give ourselves over to many, many hours on our cell phones, so much so that we don't even connect with, with each other. We give ourselves over to our television shows. We give ourselves over to our music, uh, uh, worldly music, that leaves us, in the end, lazy. It leaves us kind of spiritually lethargic. It leaves us in, a, in an empty state. And it doesn't produce in us any joy. And, and, and I'm, I'm 55 years old. And I, I'll assure you, if you spend all of your free time after work on video games and uh, on social media, uh, when you get to 55 years old, you're going to say, man, what did I do with my life? And you're going to be saying to yourself, man, I might not have many more years left. Right? What did I do with my opportunity to be able to engage my family, to be able to engage my neighbors, to be able to change the world, to make a difference in your life? One of the things I like about millennials is more than my generation, they want to make a difference in your life. Well, if you want to make a difference in your life, don't give yourselves over to technology. Give yourselves over to, to love and joy and peace and put your lives into people. Read some books and, and, and um, set some major goals and go on some mission trips and do some service where you can actually change the world by sharing the love of Christ in your community. Now, this is a challenge for every American, my household and yours, because these phones and these, the media is so attractive, it's so engaging. And it can lead you, before you know it, you sit on the couch to watch a football game, and now you've watched two football games. And you know you have a report that you need to turn in for work tomorrow, and it's eight or nine o'clock and you're tired. It's that kind of wasteful life. So we need to watch being drunk by the ways of the world. Instead, we need to be on the offensive. We need to make the most of every opportunity, the scripture says. We need to play offense. And I want to read to you real quickly from 1 Peter 4, uh, 7, 11. I want to read to you about playing offense. How to play offense. How to be prepared to live for God in the midst of difficulties and trials and tribulations. 1 Peter 4 lays this out beautiful. Right on track. Same argument that Paul is making. Here's what he says. He says, the end of all things is near. He says, Christ could be coming at any moment. 
and all of us will be given an account. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert, be sober. That is, be focused, be clear about what you're doing so that you may pray. That's the first thing he says. And then the next thing he says, above all, love each other deeply. That's the second key. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Then he gives us a third key. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then he gives us his fourth key. He says, each of you should use whatever gifts and talents God has given you. Spiritual gifts and abilities. Each of you should use your gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards so that when we waste our lives on our distractions, we are foolish, we're not faithful stewards. And so we want to be careful about how we use our time. He says we should be faithful stewards, diligently serving. Faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If now, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be, may be glorified, be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. So we have these four um, items that give us the key to how to win the battle. The first part of the battle is that we need to pray. We need to recognize that we don't win this battle against sin on our, on our own. And that's why we huddle in small groups and why we come to church and why we read together and why we're taught because in our own natural resources, we're unable to stand against sin. And so we need to pray and we need to ask God's power in prayer. And we'll see God do some phenomenal things in our, in our lives. I was, I was in the hospital with, a, with this sick person, hurting. God may not choose to heal him, but we prayed. And there was a peace that came over him while we were praying and reading the scriptures. There's a, there's a, a healing and a joy that comes from laying our hands on a sick person and praying. Even if God doesn't completely heal them, he heals their spirits. He gives them encouragement. He says that they can keep going forward. Amen? And so there, that we need to pray is what I'm trying to say. Because prayer works. It changes things. It, it, it frees up resources so, so that we can move forward in Christ. God hears our prayer. And secondly, we need to love deeply. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that um, love, it, it, here it says it covers a, a multiple of sins. In 13.5 it says, uh, how does it put it? It says it does not keep record of wrong. That is to say, you can, we can love each other when we know our weaknesses and when we love each other deeply. We can remember the grace that God has poured out on us in forgiving and, and we can forgive each other. And so you can forgive me and Nick and Mike when we sin and it does happen, just ask the staff if you haven't seen it in your own eyes. Uh, calling attention to it, a couple weeks ago I was preaching and uh, a woman was concerned that I was rightly concerned that I was using the Lord's name uh, uh, casually 
And since my sermon said you need to, you know, to hold people accountable, she came up to me and said, you know, I have children here, and I don't, I, that's not what we do. And so we can, we can confront, but then we can forgive. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't uh, keep you bound up and guilty. It frees you up so that you can start again. Love covers a multitude of sins. And then we need to practice hospitality. Hospitality does three important things. The people that you have coffee with, the people that um, you bring over to your home, it shows, it says this, it says that they're very important to you. In fact, most of us, if we are honest about it and we look at who are the folks that we have over to our homes, who are the folks that we eat with, whether it be lunch or coffee, the most. Those are our most intimate friends. And so when, when I invite you into my space, it says you matter. Practice hospitality. That encourages, that builds us up. And then lastly, it says serve dynamically. That means serve with all the power that you have. I was at a wedding here recently of a couple from our church. And I saw this with my own eyes. I saw dynamic, zealous service. Um, I saw the wedding coordinator, uh, humble but dedicated. Always prepared to serve, but out of the way. Um, uh, giving the bride and his family all the attention. Why? So that they would have this precious moment of coming together in Christ. Uh, serving zealously. Uh, I saw the MC um, just doing a marvelous job of encouraging this family. And not, not perfectly, but with laughter and engaging the whole community so that God could be glorified and that the children who were in the audience could learn about the joy of marriage and what it's all about. Uh, in every uh, aspect of your life, God is saying, when you do it with excellence, to the best of your ability, not perfection, but zealous to the best of your ability, the people who see it say, man, that is awesome. Like I was inspired and it glorifies God. So it shows people how important they are and it glorifies the God who sent us. So serve zealously. These are the ways that we can make the most of every opportunity. Be prayer warriors. Um, be, love people deeply, forgiving their sins and encouraging them to move forward. Um, practicing hospitality, inviting people into your space, and then serving dynamically. These are ways that we can be on the offensive. We don't always have to take the hits from the enemy. We can actually build each other up and we can actually build up the kingdom of God through these offensive measures. So the question I have for you, which the small groups will get, is this one. In what ways do you need to be more careful in your warfare? More careful in your Christian walk? What are the areas where you know you're weak and that God would have you shore up? The second point is this. We need to be joyful in worship. Joyful in worship. So walking in the spirit requires us not only to be sentinels and careful about uh, what we know, what we study, 
what we allow into our minds and how we live, it also requires us to be joyful about what God has done for us. Ephesians 5, 18, B. A says, don't be filled with wine. We talked about that. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here... This being filled with the Spirit is tied with our, our, our joy, our making music in our hearts to the Lord, our thankfulness. This being filled with the Spirit is, is tied to that. Truth be told, being filled with the Spirit is tied to the, uh, to the offensive issues as well, to walking in, the, in Christ and not giving in to, to sin. Being filled with the Spirit is re required for both uh, aspects of the Christian life. Joyfulness in worship, the singing of songs of praise to God, out of a heart of love, and the giving of thanks to God are the result of being filled with the Spirit. So the question is, how can I become filled with the Spirit? Now, um, a lot of Christians... This isn't an easy issue. It wasn't, it's not an easy issue for me, matter of fact. If I talk to five or six different pastors, I'll get slightly different answers. And since I've got about 20 hours in this sermon, a little bit more than usual in terms of my prep, usually it's about 12 or 14, 20 hours really trying to get my mind around how a, an ordinary Christian can be filled with the Spirit, as the Scripture says. I want to give you the four keys quickly. The first thing is that being filled with the Spirit comes with you being saved. It comes through repentance and faith and rebirth. First of all, you got to have the Spirit before you can be born and uh, filled with the Spirit. Amen? you got to have the Spirit first. That's the first thing. The second thing the Scripture talks about is that when Christ rose from the grave, Romans chapter 6, and you became a new person, the Scripture talks about now that you have this newness and you have the Spirit of God in you, that you should give yourselves to righteousness. That you should present yourselves to obey Christ. And that it's a choice that you have to make every day. And so uh, walking according to the Spirit is a choice. So first of all, I've got to have the Spirit. Then I've got to walk in obedience with the Spirit. That's the second thing. And if I do the second thing, then I'll produce the third thing, which is, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, kindness, and peace, right? And we've all seen this in people's lives. We've seen changed people who obey the Lord, who become um, more, have more faith, a stronger prayer life, have kindness and joy. Some of, it, of it, this we've seen in our own families when brothers or sisters or spouses have come to Jesus. We've seen Jesus totally transform their lives. And they begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is the third thing. And lastly, the outflowing of that is a heart of worship and praise that Paul calls for. And so that all of these things if you're going to live a life, and this scripture is, is passive, it says, be filled. It says, continually be filled. If you're going to have the sense that you're constantly be filled 
in God, you're not going to be living an amoral life. Come on with me. And so you won't be after the football game having, you know, five-hour drinking binge. And you won't be a single person here uh, still hanging on to your high school friend and doing whatever you do, right? You won't have a sense of fear. In fact, you'll be what uh, Ephesians 4.30 says, you'll grieve the Spirit. You'll do just the opposite, right? When you don't continue to, to give yourselves to godliness, you'll actually grieve the Spirit. You'll do just the opposite. So we've got to have all of these in order to be continually filled. What Paul uh, teaches, as I have summarized his theology, is this, this, this paradigm. This is how one is filled with the Spirit. And the culmination of a godly life and a godly lifestyle is joy in the Lord. Because in order to be filled with the Spirit, we have to engage our whole mind, our heart, our emotions, um, our souls, our bodies. Every aspect of us has to be given to God in order for us to have this experience of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is where our joy comes from. It's the fellowship experience of knowing that God is real and He's alive and operating in your life. And it comes all through God, it's all of God's work his transformation, and then your, your will and actions to obey him. It comes, it, it's all of God, of you, of you giving yourselves to the life of God. And, and this produces a, a, an amazing joy, a, a joy that properly uh, understood, that properly understood will do some, uh, will produce some amazing effects in your life. Um, and so um, one of the, the challenges um, with preaching that I have to, uh, ways that I have to fight is um, um, sometimes I'll be studying the scriptures and try to make a point or come up with an application or explain something and I'll be looking at the passage for an hour or two and not like making any progress. This happened to me here recently actually. And uh, even yesterday as I was trying to wrap this sermon up, I felt the Spirit saying to me, Lord, you got to pray. And I dropped and, and prayed in my office and said, Lord, and I, I just can't do this. I've been looking at the same line for two hours, not making any progress. And uh, I felt the Lord says, Lord, you're, you're short on your worship. I want to I tell you something. Um, I've been pastoring here at High Point about six years. And um, m my knowledge of theology has increased uh, tremendously. Uh, I've been listening to about 
300 hours of preaching from, from Nick. I've read over 100 uh, books. And so my knowledge of theology has increased. And then my ability as a pastor has increased. When I first started, and I would do my best to give counseling advice, and nobody would listen, and they wouldn't change. And now I actually ask good questions. And then I try to listen carefully. And maybe I don't even give any. In fact, I wait for them to identify the answer, because in most cases, when you guys come and see me, you know what the answer is. You know what, you know what changes you need to make. And so I, I listen and let you tell me what changes you need to make, and I just repeat them back to you. And guess what? You know that you're brilliant, and so you start doing it and you change. Come on with me. <laughs> and, so, and so what I'm saying is I've gotten better at even being a pastor and a, and a shepherd. And, but, but, but the thing I've, I've noticed, though, is that even though I'm, I'm more knowledgeable and, and being more productive, I find myself behind in my praise. I find myself coming into the sanctuary and, and not being as, as rejoicing uh, in the salvation. I understand the complexities of salvation, but does that cause me to rejoice in my salvation? Come on. I understand um, the assurance of faith and the, the doctrines involved in that, but do I really, when I think about my eternity with Jesus, does that cause me to rejoice? Come on with me. And I'm, what I'm saying to you, you will not be filled with the Spirit if you just have one and not the other. You will not be filled with the Spirit if you are uh, intellectual and understand great theology and then with all the zeal in your, in your will, uh, try it, but you don't have the joy. You don't know anything hardly of the joy of the Lord as your strength. And so what will happen to you is you're going to burn out. You're going to say, man, this is just too hard. I have to work at this so hard, and I hardly feel fellowship with the Lord. And then it's the other side. If I say, if I come, and I'm the biggest praiser, and I'm the biggest worshiper, but then after this, I go back to smoking and drinking and cursing and living an ungodly life. Then I'm going to wipe out. I'm, my spiritually, my life is going to fall into a ditch. And you're going to hear about some crisis and some issue, and it'll, it'll set me back. And there's grace for both sides of this equation. But if you want to be filled with the Spirit, look at me carefully. You need to have both. You need to be an exuberant praiser because you know what God has done for you. Nobody, Pastor Lloyd, doesn't have to tell you. You know how good God has been for you, to you. And so you rejoice when we sing the hymns. You rejoice when we sing the gospel songs. And you are serious about your theology. You're growing in your theology and getting more nuanced in how you apply it. Come on with me. You need both if you're going to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what I came here to tell you. I want both. I want to be a dynamic theologian. I want to be a, a faithful person who walks in the Scripture. And I want to praise God like there's no tomorrow. I want to close with this. In the hospital with a, a young couple uh, that I married, and they gave me uh, permission to use their name, uh, Dan and Tara Carroll. And they're going through the last 
year or two has just been a really difficult season for them. I can see they would describe it as that Satan has been doing everything he could to discourage them. Most recently, uh, Dan, who was born with a, uh, a child uh, uh, kind of birth defect. Since I'm not a scientist, I want to look this up so I can get it uh, correct. He was born with a hydrocephalus. It is uh, water on the brain. And if you don't drain it properly, it causes brain uh, damage. And so he was born with this, and when he was about 16, so the treatment is to put um, what they call a shunt, which drains the water, but the shunt doesn't last forever. It gets bad, it goes bad. And so when he was about 16, his parents kind of were aware of this, and because the, the surgery to replace it, there's a three to 5% chance that you'll die. They just didn't want to take that risk with their son. So they tried another method. Now he's 30 and it's not working and there's, there's buildup on his brain and so he went in for an MRI and the physician said he had to go in for emergency surgery. This is last week. So I married this couple, I love this couple. Uh, we've been praying together for some um, time and God has been delivering them. They've been growing in the knowledge of God and seeing victory, but now they got another trial. And so the day after the surgery, I go into the hospital and here's what Dan tells me, blew, blew my mind away. He said this, 30 years old, he's my favorite husband now, better than, you know, he's, he says this, he says, Lloyd, uh, we had to determine whether we were gonna do this surgery. Uh, there's a chance I would die. And so I had to look at this soberly and, and, uh, and I said to my brother, I said, hey, I want you to take care of Tara. If I don't make it, you take care of her. Her family's um, in northern Wisconsin. There isn't anybody. You make me the commitment that you're going to take care of his wife. If she dies, I'm, I'm actually going to join in that. The church is going to join in. If that were to happen, if that were to happen, we're going to join in on that. But that was the first thing. That was his vigilance. He says, I'm, I, might, I might be gone, so I got to prepare as if I'm not going to be here. I got to make sure that the responsibilities I took on in marriage are being handled. And so, my brother, you got to do this. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure it's done. And then he turned and said this. Then I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, thank you for 30 years. It's been a great 30 years. I married the woman of my dreams. I've had a couple years with her. Um, you've done some dynamic things in my life. Thank you for the 30 years. And that's a, the spirit-filled life. That was a perfect illustration of the spirit-filled life. Vigilant, prepared, knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but that there are still responsibilities behind that need to be tended to, and yet rejoicing in what God has given you because you know that whether you live or die, you're going to be well taken care of by Jesus, that that's his, that's his promise, that's his hope. Looking at the tendrils, that's his hope. I'm starting to realize that hope is really important as I get 55 and older, come on, that I'm looking forward to my eternal reward in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm staking my claim on his, his promises and I'm thanking him for the 30 years with my wife and my two children and this great church and I'm rejoicing in the Lord even though these have been some of the most difficult years of my life. Come on, talk with me. That's what the Christian life is about. 
It's about joy in the midst of your journey, of your difficulties, of your battle. How many of you know you're going through some trials and battles? Raise your hand right now. And if you don't know that you are, let me tell you, my mom used to say, you, know, you just keep on living. You just keep on living, and you're going you think, you think I'm the only one with troubles? You just keep on living. I found out she was right. <laughs> her children were giving her trouble and my children. You know, come on, come on. You just keep on living, and you're going to have to overcome some trials by faith. And when you do, as you see God keeping you strong and even changing your circumstances little by little, you'll praise God as you grow in maturity. So the spirit-filled life is the kind of life that Dan Carroll is living at, 30 years old, had another lapse and back in hospital this past week. Could be on his way to eternity, but rejoicing at the same time. That's the life that God has for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, That's the kind of God you are. Book of Hebrews says this, it says, uh, let us run this race with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. No matter what comes our way, we wanna give thanks to God in all things. We're not conditional praisers. On condition that things work out for you, you will praise him. We're not conditional praisers. Uh, what, what, however, however life gives us, because we know God is good, we know his promises are certain, we can praise him. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter for our faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, though he scorned his shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and so, God, the joy before him is us, that he could see us as he was headed towards the cross. He could see saints from all over the world, and he could rejoice. And this is hard, Father. And I, I'm nailed to the cross. I'm bleeding. I'm in excruciating pain. But for the joys before him, he endured. And for the joy set before us, we endure difficulties because we're led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and well able to accomplish what God has set for us. And preparing ourselves for the time that we're going to sit down with Jesus before the throne of God. Lord, thank you for, uh, thank you for this awesome promise that no matter what comes our way, we can be uh, rejoicing because of the, the wonderful things you are doing in our midst and the wonderful future we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Do you stand with us? As